Welcome to the Sunday evening worship service on June the 22nd, 1986 at Indianapolis First Church of the Nazarene. This is Pastor Stipp and I will be bringing a message tonight in, from the 12th chapter of John. As you share this service, may the excitement of this hour challenge and inspire your heart. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading at verse 20. And read seven verses down through verse 26. Now there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came, and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered him, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall my servant also be. If any man serves me, the Father will honor him. I'd like to break the sermon down tonight into three basic points. Number one, the desire. Number two, the program. And number three, the cost. For I see in here one of the basic desires in our text verse is verse 21, which, which says... Sir, we would see Jesus. This is the only recorded instance in Scripture between the entry into Jerusalem and the institution of the Lord's Supper. And it will be the theme of my preaching as I go into the new assignment. It will be the theme of my ministry. Sir, we would see Jesus. I remember the first message that I ever preached. I stepped into a pulpit and right up there was a little plate with those words on the plate to remind anyone who stepped in the pulpit that Jesus is our message. I already told them that the first priority will be to get to know them and to get to know their names and their needs and let them get to know me so ministry can begin to take place. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, the Greeks came with a question or with a request, and that was of seeing Jesus. And I wondered why they wanted to see Jesus. It could have been out of curiosity. Probably they would have had some former understanding or at least limited knowledge of Jesus. Maybe they had heard a parable that he'd told. Maybe they had heard about or witnessed a miracle that had been performed. Maybe they had listened to his teaching or heard a, a report about his teaching. Or maybe they had witnessed a changed life. But some way, somehow, there was a desire within them to see Jesus. I don't want to make more of that question or that request than what's there, but somehow those words seem to want to hang in my mind. And I think there's more there than just that simple request to go up and put their eyes on this man called Jesus. I think that within the heart of every person that there's a quest, that there's a desire. And sometimes we go through life searching and I think everybody is searching for something. I think many of the deviant things in our culture today are a result of a search. People are looking for something. 
I think the whole drug culture and all that's involved there, our people are looking for something to satisfy them. It's an ultimate something or other that they haven't discovered yet. And all of the things that are tied into humanism or the quest that seems to go on and that kind of quest that would lead to broken marriages or crime or or, or whatever would come in and, and destroy that which is around us is many times a result of a searching or a, or a quest. The curious searching of something to satisfy that desire that's within. We sang a song tonight called Satisfied. And in that we talked about, I've found whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longing and I'm saved. There's another song about the crystal fountain. So long of thirst my weary soul did language. But not of earth my soul could satisfy but when to Christ I came in bitter anguish, I found in him the answer to my cry. Oh, I found it, the crystal fountain whom my soul so long has craved. What's the next line? Jesus satisfies my longing. Through his blood I now am saved. The world, I believe, is searching for Jesus. Because they're lost. And many of them are so lost, they don't know what they're looking for. And they're, that's, it's just a, a quest. And they're trying to fill up that void in their life with everything they can think of. But there's another song that says, only Jesus can satisfy the soul. So our message to those people who are searching and groping through life is to first help them identify their quest. It's kind of like the Apostle Paul, when he went to Mars Hill and began to preach that sermon, he began to identify the needs around him. There were gods to everything, and temples here and temples there, and he began to look around and he came to one that was called the, the temple to the unknown God. And he said, hey, I know this God. I know the one that you don't know. Isn't that like the world in which we live? People are searching and they erect their gods here and another god here. They find out this one doesn't work, so they put up a god here and they're searching and they don't know what they're searching for. And we can take the attitude like Paul and say, I know the one that you've been searching for all the time. Sir, we would see Jesus. This week, I can almost guarantee for you that you will come across someone who will say to you, sir or ma'am, we would see Jesus. Because I think that's what the world is looking for, even when they don't know it. Now, they won't say it in those words. They won't come up to you and mention his name. But you will sense frustration in their life. You will search anxiety. You will see them groping here. You will see them fumbling here you will sense that things aren't coming together for them and they're going to be asking a question. And the question will be, what's the answer to life? And you can say to them, you need the very thing that I found. You see, only Jesus can satisfy those needs that you're trying to fill up with everything else in your life. The world is saying to us, and I think point number one, the desire is a universal desire. Everyone in the world has a desire to see Jesus. And I would imagine that there's people here tonight that that is true with you. Maybe you're just so frustrated with life. Things haven't come together. You really haven't locked it in yet. 
You can't say with certainty or sing with certainty, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. You haven't found that yet. You're still searching. You're still trying to surround yourself with things and thinking that might be the answer. That might be what I'm ultimately searching for. But what you're ultimately searching for is Jesus. And when you find him, let me just say this. He's called the fountain of life so fair. When you find Jesus, take a long, cool drink. Let him satisfy you in a way that only he can. Enjoy him. And this desire to see Jesus, I believe, is not only in the world. I believe that we'll find it everywhere we look. I think the cry of the beginning Christian in the spiritual life, the one who only knows Jesus dimly, their pursuit in life is to know Jesus more and more. I think the saint of ripe experience, and I thought today of Grandma Williams, some of the last conversations I had with her, and her desire was to see Jesus more and more. The person that's traveling on a broken road that maybe has known Christ in the past Maybe they're away from him. They, I know there's something within them. I've been there. I had known Christ. I got away from him. But there was that desire I kept wanting to say to people all around me. I kept wanting to say to myself, I want to see the genuine and the real Jesus. And the hopeful person that's growing in their Christian life to realize and beginning to realize that Jesus is all that they'll ever need. Yes, their pursuit is I want to see Jesus. I think that that phrase, sir, we would see Jesus is the cry of all of our lives. Whatever road we're on, whatever ambition we have, whatever talents we've been given, whatever gifts, whatever our station in life, that's the desire of our heart. For you see that Christianity is nothing without Christ. It's a religion. That's true. But its distinctive message is Jesus. Christianity implies a creed, but its basis of revelation is a person. Christianity has an ethical system, but its principle is devotion to Christ. And Christianity formulates and lives as a church, but the bond of the fellowship is the very spirit of the one who gave himself for us. That's the spirit of the church. No wonder Jesus said, this is eternal life. To know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Jesus is the quest of life, and no one will ever be content, I think, until we see Jesus. I mean face to face. Then, with an expanded, redeemed, unencumbered, unshackled mind and soul when we set eyes on Him in heaven, then we can finally say, I have seen Jesus and be fully satisfied. But that's the quest we have all through life. Point number one, that's the universal desire. Sir, we would see Jesus. Point number two, the plan. Now the plan, if you put beside, if you're taking notes, put beside the word plan in parentheses. This is a principle. The principle that we have in these next two verses is a principle whereby the desire is carried out. 
and that's through the church. The principle is working together. Look at it. It's in verses 21 and 22. These Greeks therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began asking him that question. Verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip came and they told Jesus. You know the reason why they came to Philip? He probably spoke the same language. It says where he came from, and I think that's significant in that verse. That means they had something in common. Let me tell you something. This desire of the world to know Jesus, this desire for each of us to know him more and more, is going to be carried out through the church. This is the instrument. You are the instrument whereby this desire will be achieved. And you will reach people because you have something in common. It might just be a common language, but probably there will be something else. Pastor gave us good examples of that this morning. You'll either live by them, you'll work with them, you'll have something in common as far as interest goes, but there will be something in common that the Lord will use. And notice that Philip, in fulfilling this principle here, was not concerned with getting some sort of notches on his spiritual belt. Say, okay, there's one for me. No, what did he do? Immediately, he went over and got Andrew. Now, we know from the Last Supper ministries that the guy that sits right here a little bit over from that end, his name is Andrew. And he was known as Andrew the Bringer. At least that's what we find out in the Last Supper. And so he went to somebody who, who he knew could help him. By the way, that's the principle of the church. When we are working on an assignment that God gives us, we get somebody to help us, and that's the whole principle of the church. That's why the church has chosen the motto, fulfillment through ministries, and we can't do it alone. That's why we build the kingdom of God together. That very simply can broken, be broken down to say, when I get someone to help me with a ministry or an assignment that God gives me, that's the church. I'm not in it for selfish gain. I'm not in it for notches on my spiritual belt. I don't care who gets the credit. We're in this thing together. And Andrew evidently felt the same way. He didn't say, okay, well, thanks, Philip. I'm glad you brought this guy to me. Now I'm going to take him to Jesus. No, they brought the Greeks together to Jesus. Philip was a kind of guy that in other places in Scripture, he was known as the come and see guy. There were other people that wanted to see Jesus, and he said, well, come and see. And couple that with Andrew the bringer, and you're going to get results. So each one were doing what God, the, with, with the abilities that God had entrusted to each of them. There are three things that I want you to see in this passage that, that have to be true, and it will be true for an evangelistic church and it will fulfill the plan of the church in the desire of the world to get to see Jesus. Just three simple things. One, they had to be unashamed to be identified with Jesus. Point number one. Now they might, they could have been disciples, and there were disciples in Jesus' time who because of the influence of others, because of the pressure that they sensed around them, were secret disciples. We don't read about any of those secret disciples doing anything because if they did, they wouldn't be secret anymore. And I was made known of the fact about this being unashamed to identify with Jesus when I was working on the singles Bible study last fall and, and this spring. They were telling me that some of them are the only Christians in their office or on their floor where they work or in the factory. And then they began to relay some of the things that they have to put up with. Now, if you begin to yield to that, if you begin to back off in your identification with Jesus, you'll no longer be effective in the plan. 
But you have to be unashamed. No matter what they do to you, no matter what they say, no matter what little cute things they keep jabbing at you, you have to be unashamed to be identified with Jesus. They didn't care. Philip and Andrew didn't care that the Greeks knew that they were disciples. And that opened up their ministry. Number two, a willingness to share their Lord. My uh, little niece and nephew, when they were real tiny, used to play the same kind of games that every other child and their sibling play. That is, they'd hold up things and they'd say, it's mine. And the other one come up and they'd say, it's mine. And they'd quabble or quibble over some things. And pretty soon they'd pick up something and they'd say, this is mine. It became another kind of game where the other one would hold up something there and say, well, this is mine. And so that went on. This is mine. This is mine. Until they came across a picture of Jesus. And a little boy held it up and he said, this is mine. And the little girl came over and she said, my Jesus. We have to be willing to share our relationship with Jesus. You know, it's not, although it's a very personal thing, it's opened up to be shared. We can't be guarded over Jesus and protective and, and want to shelter these people from who he is as if it's going to jeopardize our, my relationship with Jesus. Didn't happen to Philip and Andrew. They opened it up and said, hey, if there, there's room for some more in this family. So point number two is a willingness to share Jesus. Point number three, and we've already alluded to that, and that was cooperation and working together and not being concerned with who gets the credit. And that's the spirit of the plan. So the, the principle of the plan is really the principle of the church. We're unashamed to identify with Jesus, a willingness to share, and a cooperation working together. This is the basis of every evangelism program that will ever be run. That's going to be successful. Point number three in the sermon is the cost of knowing Jesus. When I say that, the cost of knowing Jesus, you want to say, whoa, I mean, what, what do you mean cost? All they wanted to do was get to see him. Well, did they? Sir, we would see Jesus. What did they want to see? Just the figure of the man? Or did they want to understand who he was and what he was there to do? Some of us kind of want to approach Christ that way. I want to see him, but I don't want to get too close. I really don't want to know what makes him tick. I really don't know what I want to know the secret of his life or the ministry. Listen to what happened in the cost of knowing Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus answered whenever they came to him and say, Lord, these people want to see you. He said, the hour is come for the son of man to be glorified. You know what? If I'd have been one of those Greeks, I'd have said, hey, man, this is great. I mean, we caught him right at the peak. I mean, I've heard about the transfiguration. Maybe they'd heard about that. They might have thought, he's going to be transformed now for good. Something is, we're going to see his glory. He said, it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Man, are we fortunate. We're right here on the right day. But he wasn't done. In my Bible, you have to turn the page. But he begins to get underneath the surface of what it is to see his glory. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It took me a while to get over that. I thought, what a thing to say to some Greeks that just wanted to see him. 
it looked like maybe he just reached out his hand and said, well, it's good to meet you guys. He gave him some pretty heavy stuff. Sounds simple on the surface. It's as if he picked up a little grain of wheat and as if he said, how much is this worth? He probably said, well, not too much. It's tiny. And there, there are thousands of them all over. I mean, a little grain of wheat? Jesus said, essentially, the only way that this is going to multiply is that you put it in the ground. Let me tell you something about that, though. If you plant it, it's going to die. You won't have it anymore. And if it dies, but if it dies, it's going to bear fruit. And there'll be a, a hundred more, at least, just like this one. But remember, it first must die. You see, if you try to preserve this, you haven't got much, have you? You've just got one little grain of wheat. In fact, you've just lost the potential of this grain if you try to keep it. And I've hung on to something and that's of very little value if I just hang on to this little grain of wheat. Oh, I've still got my grain, but that's all I've got. And do you realize that I could hang on to this and starve to death? When what it needs to be done, I'm gonna. In order for me to be successful with this little grain, I need to plant it and bury it, and it'll die. But it, if it dies, it's going to bring forth fruit. And then he said, "He who loves his life this way will lose it." <laughs> if I'd have been one of the Greeks, I, w- I would have said, "I didn't want to see this much." I mean, Jesus, you've told me to, you told me more than I wanted to see. I wanted to see you. I didn't want to get into the heavy stuff. But what was the point of what Jesus was trying to say to the Greeks? He was saying to them, first of all, that I'm that grain of wheat. He was alluding already to what he was going to do for them and the whole world. He was answering the question of their quest. What is life all about? What have I been searching for? How am I supposed to live in in the light that there is a God? And Jesus brought them in two sentences right down to the point. For they wanted, what they really wanted, what they really needed was to see Jesus. And it was as if he opened up himself to them. As if he just kind of opened up his garment to almost show them his glory and said, you want to see my glory? The greatest glory that you'll ever see of me, and it comes later on, we can't get into that, I wish we could. But he said, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. When you see that, you have seen the ultimate glory of God. You see, he was telling them all about himself. He was answering the question of their quest and he was also giving them the principle for life. He was saying, meeting me and knowing me is not like meeting a president or a king or a queen. You meet them and you leave with a sense of awe. You're impressed. You've been overwhelmed by their presence. And they're so high up on the ladder that you never fully get to know them. 
You just get to know them from afar. You get to know them from the newspaper. What you've heard, what you've read, you never really get to know them. But I can tell you that you can get to know me in a different way. And what he was really saying that in seeing Jesus or in knowing Jesus, the principle is just not knowledge. The principle is an exchange. That's how life is to be lived. For if we hold on to our own life without realizing that we're holding on to something that is so small. And the only way to release our potential is to die. To die to the world. To die to sins. To die to sin. To die to ourself is the only way that we will see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. Let me ask you a question tonight. Who do you see Jesus in? If, if I were to ask you, pick out some people. They don't have to be here. Just pick out some people in your mind that you could say, in them I see Jesus. Now, evaluate the quality of their lives. Are they the kind of people that have discovered this principle that they have literally laid down their life for the Lord? That they have died out to self? Aren't those the kind of people that you sense His love coming to you in an unusual way, in an overwhelming way? And you say they're, most, they're the most loving, forgiving, unselfish people I've ever known. I see Christ in them. Sir, we would see Jesus. Have you come to the place where you have died to self? Have you come to the place where your search is over? And have you discovered life, abundant life, eternal life through that principle? Listen to this. It's almost too good to be true. And yet it applies to us. Not only did the grain of wheat apply to Jesus, but it says, if anyone serves me, verse 26, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be also. To follow Jesus puts us in the same place where he is. It's not like going and visiting the White House and seeing the president and shaking his hand and going home. Jesus said, if you serve me in this way, if you follow me, if you follow my example, then I'll be right there with you. Sir, we would see Jesus. Following Jesus is giving up your life. Above, we skipped over that verse, but it also says you must hate your life. That doesn't mean you hate yourself. Because a parallel passage to this, Jesus said, I'll tell you how much you have to love me to be my disciple. You must hate your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your children, your wife, your life, everything. Anything compared to me must be lesser. That's just a comparative way they had of writing the scripture back then. It doesn't mean that we have to hate ourselves or our family. But it means in comparison to Jesus, there's, there's hardly a second. There might be a hundred and second. But Jesus is so far about above everything else that He is Lord. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He that loves his life that way to hang on to it, we'll lose it. 
But he that's willing to lay down his life and lose it for his own sake and the sake of the world and all that he can gather around him and give it to me, it will be a life like a little seed that's planted that will be covered over with God's love, watered by his grace, and the plan will begin to happen. The church will begin to reach out and address that desire of the world and the desire that's even locked up in the heart of the church to see Jesus. I believe that some of you have been searching, and in your searching you've been frustrated. Sometimes you've not even known what you've been searching for, but I can tell you tonight, it's Jesus. You have been looking for Him. But you know that you've never found Him yet, because there's still that sense of searching and unfulfillment that's going on. In this last sermon that I'm going to preach to you as your associate pastor, and I know all of the things that are planned. There's a, there's a time for us to get together, and I'm looking forward to that. But I think you could understand that my desire at the end of this message would be to give someone an opportunity. <laughs> if they've been looking for Jesus, they don't need to shake my hand. They need to embrace Him. And if there's someone here tonight that said, I, I, you, I've just, uh, the Word has spoken to me. I'm like one of the Greeks. I've wanted to see Jesus. And I've heard some things. God's showed me some things tonight. I know that I've been holding on to my life and I need to let it go. I need to give it to Jesus. In doing that, let's stand together. We're going to sing a couple verses of invitation tonight. Turn to Him 287. And I'd like for us to sing together, I surrender all. If you've not come to that place of full surrender, there's joy and release and filling that could come when Christ has all of your life. Bill, lead us as we sing that verse together. sing that second verse in just a moment. Before we do, there might be someone here tonight that's identified maybe with the fact that you're not pleased with the way that those around you are seeing Jesus in your life. Maybe the Lord has used this sermon to say to you, I wonder if people were selecting names of ones that they've seen Jesus in that you'd feel confident that people are seeing Christ in your life. Maybe the Lord's been talking to you about this for quite a while. He usually does that. Maybe for the last few weeks or months, you've been bothered by the fact that you're just not pleased with the way that Jesus is seen in your life. We're not here to point a finger. We're here just to help 
the Lord wants to meet that kind of need, to renew that confidence in you, and to give you a fresh filling and empowering of His Holy Spirit to be the kind of person you really want to be. Let's sing that second verse together. If that's your need, we invite you to come. so sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and I know you are. Some of you sense that God's here. Some of us, you know, just need a little time, and I'm not going to take a whole lot of time, but I want to be patient as you need to be, as you need patience. There are a number that came. As we sing that chorus one more time, I'd like for two things to happen. I'd like for people that would like to come and help pray with these or at the altar to feel free to come as we sing. You know what I'd like tonight for every one of us in the room? If we can sing this last refrain together as a testimony. Let's do so with uplifted hand. That'll be your commitment, a fresh commitment tonight that I surrender all to Jesus. We all need that every once in a while. Let's sing together. I surrender all. 